When we're putting the um, preaching outlines together and deciding who's preaching where, and, and we know we're coming to the end of this series on the uh, Warrior Series, <clears throat> excuse me, I, we'd flipped around a little bit, and Pastor was going to have me preach next Sunday instead of this Sunday. And I, I pressed him kind of hard that I really felt like I wanted to have this message. Not because I'm special or because I preach better than anybody else. But being in ministry for 35 years, I know that this Sunday is a very momentous Sunday. <clears throat> a lot of emotions uh, with Fully Alive, with those who have been involved, with those who have been producing. And, and just a kind of a mixed bag of emotions. So kind of giving Pastor a reprieve today. But in 35 years of ministry, I understand transitions a little bit. I understand transitions of pastors. I understand transitions of staff. I understand transitions of programs, of ministries. And here's what I have learned in some of those years of ministry. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing. And transition is a part of ministry. And we don't always understand it. We may not always agree with it, but we learn to accept it because we know that God is in control. And one of the things I've learned in my 35 years of pastoring is that nothing or no one is indispensable. That God has a divine plan. He has a divine purpose. And what he removes in his season, he's doing that so something else can come forward and something else can develop. So I just want to encourage you this morning that God has a plan and he knows what's in store for us. And this I do know. It's not an exact quote from Scripture, but this I do know. This is the Lord's church. Amen? And Jesus is Lord. This is the church that has been established on his word. This is a church the Lord is building. The gates of hell will not prevail. This is the Lord's church, and Jesus is Lord. So no matter what transitions we face, we know that God is in control. This morning I realize and I've been forewarned that I have a short time due to some of the preliminaries. I'm not going to try to sound like an auctioneer, but this is a solemn message. It's a solemn message because I'm going to give you the background, I'm going to give you some points, and then I'm going to end with a challenge. Uh, normally I try to have something that, that brings some levity to the message and maybe something that a little humorous. Um, I don't have that this morning. It's not there. Uh, so uh, unless my earpiece falls off or my partial tooth falls out while I'm preaching, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot to laugh about. But it is something I believe that God has laid up on my heart and something that I believe that he wants us to hear this morning. And it, I believe it's very powerful and impactful. As Paul says, not that I come to you in enticing words of speech, but I pray that I come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit and that it quickens our hearts and it quickens our minds that God's word is presented to us today. It's been said that no great men have successors. Now, if we understand the concept of a successor as someone who takes up the work of his predecessor, something that his predecessor has left, and we continue to develop it, according to a divine plan, 
then all men and women, great or small, have successors. I have a portion of scripture that I want to share with you today. It's the foundation for this message. It's found in the book of Joshua. We're talking about Joshua this morning as the courageous warrior. But it's interesting, and as I thought of this fully alive presentation and the message that I'm sharing with you, it's interesting that throughout Scripture, we have examples of somebody has to die in order for someone else to move forward. Someone has to be removed in order for someone else to take that place. And we find this in, the, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. When we see this happening here, the application or the, the background is this. Moses is dead. Forty years of history is over. Now get ready to move. And if you picked up on what Jason was telling us a moment ago, fully alive, we have had a funeral service this morning. We have celebrated. We have given a memorial. But there are some things that is going to happen in the future that I believe God is going to use even to a a greater extent than what he has ever used before in the years that we have been here. But it's important to understand this concept. Moses is dead at 120 years of age, and I don't have time to share the whole scene with you, but catch this with me. At 120 years of age, Moses, who had been found in the bulrushes of the river, experienced the burning bush, given the Ten Commandments, led the people across the Red Sea. He now comes to a place in his life where he simply, if you read in in the book of Numbers, he simply walks off to the top of a mountain. God's presence is with him, and he dies. In fact, it tells us that God even buried him. And to this day, nobody knows where that grave is. And there there were some reasons for that because God understood that perhaps because of Moses' involvement with the people, had they had known where he was buried, basically he would have become an idol to them. And they would have went to that place and worshipped this person who they had been so strongly connected with. This person who they had went through the Red Sea with. The person that they had walked around the wilderness for 40 years with. And so God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this man and I'm going to walk with him to the top of the mountain. He's going to die in dignity. I will bury him. You don't know where he's at, but I have someone else that I am going to raise up. Somebody for this season and for this time. And that was a man by the name of Joshua. You see, here's God's understanding, I believe. Moses was the man to walk through the sea and to journey around the wilderness. But Joshua was the man to fortify the cities. Moses was the man to confront Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of slavery 
But Joshua was the man to organize those people into civilized life and face the Canaanites. Moses was the best man for the past. Joshua was the best man for the future. Now, you probably couldn't convince those people who had been a part of Moses' ministry that that was really the case. But God understands, and God knows, and he sees the future. Our responsibility is to say, God, whoever it is you're replacing, whatever it is you're closing down for the season, whatever the transition is in our life, God, I have to know that you have our best interest in heart, that you have the church's best interest in heart, and God, whatever transitions come our way, we know that the future is going to be brighter than the past because you are God. And that's where we come into this concept of Moses. And the the thought that I, I end this little bio with Moses is this. To die in the midst of work is not to have lived in vain. So although Moses, actually he was the youngest of his kindred that died. But to die in the midst of work, to cease in the midst of what God has called us to do, is not necessarily to live in vain. So we come to this place of understanding that Moses is dead. Now, Joshua, raise up. And I would love for you, if you have time, to read through the chapters in Joshua because it's filled with the promises of God. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. Every place where the sole of your feet touches on the ground, I will give to you. And you read through those stories of the Jordan River. And you read of the city of Jericho and Ai and the lessons that he learned. But here's the thing. Sometimes the tallest tree is often cut down so the younger trees can have more contact with sunshine and fresh air so that they can grow. We don't understand it. It doesn't really resonate with our reasoning and our sensibility, but it's a fact of life. In order for Israel to enter the promised land, Moses had to die. Some of the background, and you say, well, who is this Joshua that you're talking about? Well, I got to tell you this. Joshua did not step into this position because he was the most popular. He didn't step into the position because he had the most money. God didn't place him in this position because he was the smartest, the wisest, the strongest, or the most handsome. But God saw in this man something in his character and in his integrity that God says, I think I can use this guy. Simply, the name Joshua means Yahweh delivered. We know that he was one of the 12 that entered into Canaan when the spies were spying out the land. We know that when they came back with a report, 10 of them said, oh, it's terrible. There's giants in the land. There are challenges. There are difficulties. We're never going to make it. Caleb silenced them. And finally, Joshua stood up and said, wait a minute. If God is with us, we will enter this land. We will move into the future. We will obtain what God has for us, and we will possess the land, and nothing is going to stop us from that. We know that he defeated the Amalekites. We know that he had been Moses' servant for a long time. He was one of the 12 spies. 
He was a political, military, and spiritual leader. Joshua did whatever it took and paid whatever the price to walk in obedience to God's plan. And I believe that's what God is speaking into our hearts today. At the end of this message, I'm going to leave you with a challenge. And we're going to see some people who has went before us. We're going to see some Moses, some leaders, some pillars of the church who have gone before us. But my question today is this, who is God raising up to succeed them? And when we look at this man by the name of Joshua, we find out, I think that there are at least four things that I can attribute to why God chose him to be the man for the hour. First of all, faithfulness in the past will move us into the future. Faithfulness in the past will move us into the future. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, gave us an example of that when he gave the talents to the servants. He gave five talents to one, two talents to the other, one talent to the other. You know the story. The one with the five brought back five more. The one with two brought back more. And the one with one hid his talent because he wanted to be sure he had it. Here's what Jesus said to the faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, my friends, here is the thing. We sit sometimes and think, well, if I would just be selected to take this high position, then I would be willing to do that. But we find throughout Scripture, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, we find out in Scripture that it's the faithfulness of the little things that help us to become a part of the bigger things. And how do we know that? We know that because God's will comes to us in daily circumstances. God's will comes to us when we hear pastor or one of the staff or someone that is saying we need some volunteers to do this. In fact, we, heard, we saw this with Jason and, and the Fully Alive Media. He could not have done what he had done if there had not been volunteers that said, I'm willing to be faithful. Every Sunday morning, I will be here. This church could not exist if it were not for volunteers that says, I will step up. And I will do my part. But you say, how do, how do, Pastor Don, how do we know that? See, God's will comes to us in daily circumstances. Our past counsel, our past victories, our past communication. Our foundation is built on self-discipline, courage, and ministry to others. And we must descend before we can ascend. In other words, we must understand the concept of serving before we understand the concept of leadership. And Joshua was an example of that. He knew what it meant to serve. He knew what it meant to be faithful to his past. And now God was bringing him into a future that was going to be even greater than his past. I think the second thing that I see in Joshua's life that makes him a courageous warrior is this. A distinct call will be accompanied by divine clarity. Say, but Pastor Don, how do I know God has a call on my life? How how do I know that that, that this call on my my life is, is going to qualify me? Let's look in Genesis chapter 12. There's another man by the name of Abraham that received a call of God on his life. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, 
your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make unto you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whosoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The interesting thing about a call on our life is this. It's not a question of do I have enough strength or qualification, but is God placed a call on my life? And I believe my conviction is this, that everyone today in the sound of my voice, God has a call on your life. Some of us have not responded to that. Some of us have rebelled against it. Some of us have tried to make excuses for it. But when God's building his church, he puts everything in place. God is a master builder. When he builds his church, he leaves nothing out. So my statement to us this morning is this. Everything that we need for this church to move forward is here in this church. It's just a matter of those who are responding and those who are willing to be that servant, willing to be available and to serve in whatever area God calls them to serve in. Because God will qualify the people that he calls. You don't have to worry about qualification. All of us as pastors would stand here and say to you, we're not the same people that we were the day we heard God's call on our life. When I experienced God's call on my life, I had no clue what a call of God was, 12 years of age. All I knew was that that youth camp at the altar, this fellow who I thought was an old man, probably early 40s, came up to me. I was kneeling in the, at, at the altar. He put his hand on me. He said, young man, he said, I don't know what it is specifically, but I'm asking you to just follow God because I sense that he has something special for your life. And, and from that age of 12, all the way through my life, there's times that I've never understood. There's times that I've questioned. But I trust that there's also been more times than not that God has found me faithful just doing what he's asked me to do and understanding that he does the qualifying. Because within ourselves we are nothing. None of us are indispensable. And God has a call on people's lives that to raise up and to become a Joshua, to raise up and become a successor. There's no such thing as impossibility when God says, arise, go forward, and I will be with you. I believe the third distinct part of Joshua's life was that he understood that God's presence will be a sign for a special movement. We find in Exodus chapter 13 that here as as the children of Israel was traveling, they were heading to the Red Sea. It says, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What I have learned and what I understand 
is that anyone can be a conqueror with God on our side. And God's presence is irrespective of ability or disposition. When we know that the presence of God is with us, we can go anywhere and we can do anything. When we sense the presence of God on our life and we're responding to the call of God on our life, we know that nothing can stand in our way. All the challenges may come. The difficulties may come. But we're serving someone who's greater than circumstances. We're serving someone who's greater than the hardships that we face. We're serving someone who helps us know that because the presence of God is with us, the job's going to get done. And then I think the fourth thing that relates to Joshua, there's a part of his character, his integrity, his makeup. The words of God are the only words of hope. In fact, Psalm 119 verse 5 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Moses is dead. Joshua, arise. Transitions come to the church. And I'm giving these words to you this morning as words of encouragement, words that you can hang on to, words that you will use in the future. But transitions come. Ministries come. And ministries flourish, and sometimes ministries have to have a funeral. We didn't, when we had the angel food ministry here at Erie First, it wasn't near as long as Fully Alive. It was a great ministry. We started out ministering to about 80 or 90 families because we were one of three churches in the whole area that had angel food ministry. As time went on, the number began to increase. There were 16 churches, 20 churches. Our numbers of families began to decrease, that we were hitting about 15 to 20 families a week. Our volunteers were faithful. They were 5 o'clock on Saturday mornings at Lawrence Park in rain, shine, sleet, or snow, taking inventory, packing trucks, coming and serving the people. And what a joyous time that was. But as time went on, we sensed that the, not only the number factor, but also the weariness factor of volunteers. You know what we did? I said to our angel food volunteers, we're going to have a funeral. And we're going to put to rest angel food ministry. And so we gathered together on our last Saturday, much like we've done here with Fully Alive. We celebrated and we complimented and we, we, we just acknowledged those who have been so faithful to Angel Food Ministry. And we just had a little bit of a ceremony with celebration and we put it to sleep. So, but, but is that the end of it? No, that wasn't the end of it because God had a plan in something we call one day to feed the world. And in one Sunday, we receive an offering at this church, and we are now able to give food baskets to 300 people in one weekend, more than we were accomplishing 12 months of a year with angel food. You see, God never removes something unless he gives us something better to work toward. God doesn't remove a ministry. 
He doesn't remove a person. He doesn't remove a position. He doesn't remove these things and say, okay, now church, you have a void and you're just, it's a black hole and you're just going to fall into it. He says, this is what the transition looks like. And here's what I have for you. And it's always great because nothing takes God by surprise. I want to close this morning with this thought. In Erie First Assembly, there are good men and women who have been faithful in the past. A few months ago, we recognized three of those people, George and Amy Brown and Paul Blakesley, who had been with Royal Rangers and Missionettes for over 25 years. And when we begin to name names, invariably we leave people out. But I just want you to know that this church has people who've been faithful in the past. We have people in this congregation who's been faithful in the custodial work. 19 years. Bobby Altimus has been here. 19 years. And, and she's been faithful. And, and, and somebody will say, yeah, but, but when Bobby retires and when she leaves, it, it, the church is just going to get all icky and dirty. No, because I know that somewhere there's someone that has a heart to serve God. And this has been a ministry for her in her faithfulness. Godly men and women have passed from this life. They've left us out of this congregation, but they have left footprints for those behind to follow. I'm going to share just a few of those with you this morning. I want to draw your attention to the screen. The first one is Frank Bastone. Some of you will remember Frank. Frank served in the U.S. Army. He was a U.S. Postal Service employee for over 30 years. State officer and union steward to the letter Carriers Union. He was an elder at Erie First Assembly of God. He taught Sunday school, sang in the gospel quartet. He acted in church plays and musicals, was a worship leader. Frank Pistone was a man faithful to his past. Martha Underwood. Martha Underwood began her missionary service in 1948, serving in the Belgian Congo and then in Nigeria, teaching school for 17 years and another four years at the Assembly of God Bible School in Nigeria. And she retired in 1985. She then became director of Christian education at Erie First Assembly until her retirement in 1994. Martha, Martha Underwood was faithful to her past. Reverend Peter Bedzik served in the Pennsylvania-Delaware district as an ordained minister for over 50 years. He pastored six churches, serving as the pastor of visitation for 23 years at Erie First Assembly of God. Some of you or some of your parents were the recipients of Peter and Jenny coming to the home, spending time, giving communion, praying, and being faithful to the call of God on his life. He retired after 27 years of service. Betty Sullivan, Mike's mother, 
ministered with her husband Dennis in charismatic crusades, continued the call to stir up the gifts of the Holy Spirit among God's people until her death at the age of 81. My understanding that Betty was a prayer warrior. She knew what it meant to get on her knees and stay there till the answer came. She was faithful to her past. John Edney, whose wife, Virginia, was here for the very first fully alive prayer partner on Sunday morning, and she's here this morning for the last fully alive prayer partner meeting. Her husband, John, served many terms on the church council, as well as the building committee for all church building projects. He was a youth leader. He taught Sunday school. He was a member of the choir and helped with building maintenance. Also, John was quite involved in Teen Challenge. Here was a man that was faithful to his past. But if I could have the license this morning in the solemnness and the sacredness of these people, I say to you, Frank Pistone is dead. Martha Underwood is dead. Reverend Peter Bedzik is dead. Betty Sullivan is dead. And John Edney is dead. Joshua, wherever you are in this building, rise up. Rise up. These men and women who have served God faithfully has gone before us and left footprints for us to follow. Who will it be? My question for us this morning is this. Are we willing to become a Joshua? Whom will you succeed? You say, but Pastor Don, I, I, I can't be a carbon copy. That's not what God's looking for. There will never be another Frank, Martha, Peter, Betty, or John. There will never be another one. We're uniquely made. But there are people who can have a passion for lost souls, have a passion for missions, have a passion for prayer, have a passion for education, have a passion for volunteering, have a passion for doing what God has called us to do. There are people that are sitting in the sound of my voice this morning that God is saying by His Holy Spirit, I'm calling you to be a Joshua. Rise up. Rise up and follow the call of God on your life. You say, Pastor Don, that sounds great. And I promise you I will do that tomorrow. Here's the thing, church. Today is yesterday's tomorrow. And we continue to put it off and put it off and put it off. And I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am convinced that God has a plan for this church. God has leadership plans for this church. And though they change and though transitions come, Jesus is still Lord of this church. God is still favor of his church. And we're okay. And we're going to be okay because we've placed it in God's hands. But from, from time to time, there will be a Moses that leaves us. But there will be a Joshua 
that rises up. And God's work continues to go on. Can you say amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you today as we have celebrated 21 years of faithful ministry of men and women who have produced and edited and done camera shots and prayed with many, many, many people over the telephones. We thank you for that ministry. And Father, we thank you today that we celebrate that ministry. And as we are putting that ministry to rest today, we know there's something else that you have for us to continue reaching this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, whether it would be our small groups, whether it would be invest and invite, whether it would be just simply praying in those who need you. Father, I pray today that as those who have gone before us and left footprints to follow, God, I pray that there will be those of us that will say as Samuel, hear my Lord, use me. So, Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for Joshua. I thank you for his example, his tenacity, his strength, his faithfulness in serving you. And, Father, I pray today that in this congregation that you begin to touch the hearts of men and women, of these young people. Touch their hearts today and let them understand that you're looking for a Joshua to step forward and be a part of the future of what you have for this church. And I ask this in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday. God loves you.